Well, again, we're talking about this series that we are in this together. As John said earlier, we are being the church together. <clears throat> that can happen through so many ways. It can be going to somewhere like Shepherd Community Center in July. I can be going on one of the summer mission trips. Some of our high school students are back this morning that I've seen that were at Caravan. They had a great time. They're being the church together there. It could be things through like supporting VBS, praying for our pastor nominating committee. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of ways that we can be the church together. We want you to look for ways. We want you to be proactive and look for ways that we can be the church together and that you can do that. Last week we heard, as uh, Linda mentioned, from Tim Street. He was our guest preacher. He's the assistant director at Shepherd Community Center. And he asked this question, can we make a difference? And his answer was, God can. And God can make a difference through us when we allow him to work through us. And we see the same thing this week when we dive into uh, Acts chapter 4, which we're going to do now. It's going to be our message for this week on Acts chapter 4, continuing the story of the early church and seeing how Peter and John made a difference by allowing God to work through them. So if you've got your Bibles, um, you can look at that. Acts chapter 4, or you can just listen. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. <clears throat> it's kind of a long passage, but it tells the story, and we want you to listen for the story, of Peter and John going before the Jewish religious leaders. Hear the word of God. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Let us pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks that we can come together in this place today. Not only do we have electrical power, but God, we have the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit, as Peter and John did. Lord, through this Spirit, help open up this passage that we may learn from it and we may apply it to our lives and to our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dig into this passage, there's kind of a simple outline. It's in your bulletin. It's on the left-hand side. You can use it if you want. Uh, You don't have to, but here's what it says very quickly. It says, we need to take courage in Christ. That word courage is there in verse 13. We need to take courage in Christ and not put our courage or our trust in power or culture or self. And those those pieces are all looked at here in this part of uh, Acts chapter 4. Well, now, this passage is an emotional passage. You know, sometimes with the Bible... We think, you know, I've heard that story before. I've read that story a hundred times. Um, you know, and it, it reads kind of boring the way that it, it doesn't read exciting, like maybe the novels that I read or the movies that I see. But this passage is an exciting passage with a lot of emotion. As we go back through, we read a lot of those emotional words. It said the Sadducees were greatly disturbed. They were very upset. It says they seized Peter and John. It says, Peter speaks with boldness and courage. There's that word courage. The religious leaders gave threats to Peter and John and that the people were praising God for someone who was healed miraculously. There's a lot of emotion. It's an important story. And we want to highlight um, one of those pieces that Peter and John had, which is courage, the courage that they had. Bible commentator David Williams says this word for courage that's in Acts chapter 4 means to speak holding nothing back, to speak holding nothing back. And it's a gift for which the early disciples prayed. Billy Graham, a courageous man, one of my heroes, who talked about Jesus behind the Iron Curtain, and he spoke and counseled with every American president for the last 60 years, said this about courage. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. And I believe that when Peter and John speak with courage and when we read about it, our spine should be stiffened too. We should be encouraged by their courage that we read about. Well, let's look back at the story and kind of look again how they had that courage and and how they lived it out in their lives. Well, in chapter 3, just a couple of weeks ago, we read that Peter healed a man who was crippled from birth. This was at the temple gates. They were going up to pray. And they found this man who was begging for money, and instead Peter said, I don't have anything to give you, but I'll offer you healing through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And this man got up and walked. He didn't only just get up and walk. He said he started dancing around. He started jumping around so that people noticed. So a crowd gathered. And as the crowd gathered, they're saying, you know, what's happening? What's happening? And we see that this man was healed. There is a miracle that has taken place. So more people gather. And they said that other people started coming to believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he was, that he was the son of God. So they start believing that. Well, the religious leaders of that day are threatened by that. And so 
um, we find that they're, they're threatened by that. And, um, and they call uh, Peter and John then to the council before them. Well, what did that council look like? Well, this council involved, it said the Sadducees, involved the high priests, a lot of the high priest families, and involved the highest rulers, uh, Jewish rulers in Jerusalem of the time. One of the Bible commentators I read said that when they gathered, oftentimes with what was called the Sanhedrin, that they would gather and sit in a semicircle so that they could all see each other's faces, it was most likely then that Peter and John were placed in front of the semicircle so that they would basically be on trial with all these powerful men looking uh, at them. Uh, I'm on a committee on presbyter- presbytery called the Committee on Ministry. There's about 28 people on this committee. And the way that the committee always sets up the room when we visit with committees from churches or with pastors is a long U-shaped table with people who want to interview with a committee sit on the other end. Sometimes it's an individual pastor that comes and interviews with that committee. And even though we're really nice and we like them, it still can be really intimidating to be one person sitting against all these 28 people gathered around staring at them. So imagine what it would have been like with Peter and John, and uh, these guys are not friendly. What would it be like when they are asked this question? They say, by what power did you do this? And at this point, if they haven't already, Peter and John must take courage in Christ. They must take courage in Christ, not in the power of the world, and they need to take the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, it said, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he takes this group on. He takes them head on. He says this, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, we're being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, talking to them, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So Peter goes on the offensive. He's not on the defensive at all, and he speaks with great boldness, and he holds up Jesus as the reason for the healing. He takes no credit from himself. It's not within his own power. It's in within the power of Jesus Christ that this man was healed. Many years ago, we were in a couple's Bible study uh, small group through ZPC, and I remember one of the studies we were looking at What are some of the reasons, the best reasons, we can believe that the Bible is true and Christianity is real? And we looked at the disciples, the earliest disciples after the time Jesus was resurrected, and we see that they were uh, uh, men, and there were also women in that larger group, that risked their lives again and again as Peter and John did. They were willing to even go to their death for what they believed. And if we look back, um, on the, chronologically in the timeline, just a few weeks earlier, just a matter of weeks earlier, Peter was denying three times that he even knew Jesus. It says the disciples were gathered in the upper room, sort of in hiding, um, waiting for who knows what, waiting for this Holy Spirit to come. They weren't sure what to do, and they were scared. In a matter of weeks, they had changed. And I believe at least two things had changed. They had seen Jesus resurrected. They saw him alive. And then number two, it says they were empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And because of those two things, they were able to live with courage, even in very difficult circumstances. So Peter, as he's speaking to the, uh, the council, to the Sanhedrin, he comes to this key verse in Acts 4.12, where it says this. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, Peter and John could have been tortured or killed for even saying this by saying, they are virtually saying, there is no salvation outside of Jesus. And they're saying this to the most powerful Jewish leaders. We are called also to take a stand for what we believe, to take a stand for our identity, which is in Christ. Christ is in us, and we too are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the kind of stand that Peter and John did. So we're to have um, courage in Christ, not in the power or the authorities of this world. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. We're also to have courage in Christ and not in culture, not to bow down to culture, not to give in to culture but to take courage in Christ. I've admired reading in uh, articles over the last few years how uh, different people have given away much of their wealth to help others. Two of those examples are Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. It was said in June of 2006 that Warren Buffett was the world's second richest man, and he announced at that time that he would donate 85% of his $44 billion, with a B, 85% of that to five charitable foundations. The Associated Press reported that at that time, commenting on this extreme level of generosity, he said this, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Now, he might have said it tongue-in-cheek. He might have been serious. I don't know because I don't know the context that was reported by the Associated Press on this. But here's what Peter and John say about that. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men and women by which we must be saved. Salvation and the way to heaven is not through giving money. It's not through being nice enough, kind enough, being a good enough person, or believing vaguely in God in a general sense of who God is. Salvation as revealed to us through the scriptures, is through the grace of Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Peter and John tell us here. But our world and our culture oftentimes does not want to hear that. They're either afraid of that, they're afraid of uh, offending others. And even sometimes talking about that with people that we don't know uh, makes us squirm. It might make me squirm just a little bit to have those conversations. Our culture says other things. In fact, the TV network NBC added VeggieTales, which was a uh, a popular uh, Christian video series, to their TV lineup in June 2006. But very quickly, many of the references to God and Scripture were deleted from each episode of uh, Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber. Now, first, NBC said that those cuts were simply a way to fit each episode into a tight 23-minute window. But as Christians began to investigate, it became clear that there was more to the story. And after being pressured to explain its purging of biblical content, NBC released this statement. NBC is committed to the positive messages and universal values of VeggieTales. Our goal is to reach as broad an audience as possible with these positive messages, while being careful not to advocate any one religious point of view. Phil Vischer, who was the co-creator of VeggieTales, expressed deep disappointment. He said, it's a mistake to pitch VeggieTales as just values because fundamentally 
Veggie Tales are about God. And Bob Bozell, the president of Parents Television Council, said this. Today, no one in network TV fears what the children are watching unless it makes them think about God. This is the culture in which we live in as Christians and are challenged to have courage to be different um, from the world. In the story of Acts, we can see what was expected of Peter and John. They were basically expected to deny the resurrection because it was the Sadducees were in much of the power and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. It can also be tempting for us to say that basically all religions lead to the same place. But Jesus is unique and special, and he claims uniqueness, and so do his disciples, even here in Acts chapter 4. This sounds hard for us to do, to proclaim that Jesus is unique, that he's, you know, different um, from other religious leaders, that Christianity is different from other religions. And yet we need to say it in such a way that it attracts people to Jesus, who he is, his grace, his compassion, his love, that it does not push them away. Robert Weber, who's a Christian author, tells this story. He says this, I was traveling on a plane from San Francisco to Los Angeles a few years ago, and I was sitting next to the book, sitting next to the window, reading a book, a Christian book. The man next to me, obviously from the Eastern Hemisphere, said, are you a religious man? Well, yes, I said, I am. He said, I am too. We began talking about religion, and in the middle of the conversation, I asked, can you give me a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? Well, yes, he said, we are all part of the problem, and we are all part of the solution. We talked about his one-liner, a statement that I felt was very helpful. After a while, I said, would you like a one-liner that captures the Christian faith? And he said, sure. Robert Weber, this Christian author, said, we are all part of the problem, but there is only one man who is the solution, and his name is Jesus. This is not being judgmental. It is being true to God's grace and sharing what we believe through the scriptures to be true. It is a fact that when we say Jesus saves us from our sin, that is exclusive. And it's also true that all religions are different and exclusive in some way. If we say that they are all religions are the same or that they all lead to the same place, that is not being accurate or true. But for Christians, we need to be confident in the fact that when we say <clears throat> Jesus was sent to save us from our sin for salvation, this is good news. It's not bad news. It's not something we need to be um, uh, afraid of or embarrassed of. It's good news. God, have, God could have chosen any way to offer salvation, but he chose to send his son to send him to our world to show us how to live, to die for us, that we might live. And in that, he shows us grace, compassion, love, care, um, significance, meaning. He shows us the way to live in doing all those things. Those are all the things that Jesus offers to us. And as Christians, a better way to think about it is maybe we are all beggars looking for food, and we've found the source of that food. We can tell other beggars where to find that food. That's the kind of attitude we can have as we share Jesus with others. So Jesus was unique, and he is unique. He is God. Jesus walked on earth living a perfect life, as the Son of God the Father. 
Yet Peter and John, it says in verse 13, were unschooled, ordinary men, and so are many of us. So in our ordinariness, how are we extraordinary with Jesus? We've said that we need to take courage in Christ, um, not in power and not in the culture, and we need to take courage in Christ and not in ourselves. We need to take courage in Christ and not ourselves. I was reading this week again in uh, the book, uh, workbook, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And he was talking about this specific passage in Acts chapter 4, specifically verse 13, about Peter and John, that they were ordinary men. And here's what Henry Blackaby said about that. Their relationship with God and the activity God made them extraordinary. Did you notice in the end of verse 13, it says, they had been with Jesus. They were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. Blackaby says, anyone who will take the time to enter into an intimate relationship with God can see God do extraordinary things through his or her life. Blackaby goes on to say, God wants you to be you and let him do through you whatever he chooses. When you believe that nothing significant can happen through you, you have said more about your belief in God than about yourself. You have said that God is not capable of doing anything significant through you. The truth is, God is able to do anything he pleases with one ordinary person who is fully consecrated to him. Last week, we heard from Tim Street, as we've mentioned already, and Tim shared kind of quickly, I thought, I wanted him to give a little more insight, but he kind of shared quickly that when he was a young man, he was shoveling snow on his driveway with his father when suddenly two men appeared to rob them, and they pulled a gun. And when his father asked a question, the one man shot his father, and his father ultimately died. He witnessed his father's uh, murder there on his own driveway. Over time, as years passed, um, well, first of all, Tim could have said, you know, in, in, as part of the culture, as part of his response, I don't ever want to have anything to do with these people again. Good riddance to them. But over time, Tim was able to meet the men. There were three of them, two in the driveway, one in a car, who murdered his father. He was able to forgive them, work on reconciliation. And even later, the one who was the driver of the car invite him to come and work with him in inner city ministry. Tim would tell you, and he said last week, he's an ordinary person who now, as a follower of Jesus, has dedicated his time and his life to Jesus. And by doing that, and by working with Shepherd Community Center, he's helping to break the cycle of poverty, and he can teach others about forgiveness and reconciliation. Where are the places in your life, and where are the places in my life that we need to take courage in Christ to live for him? How about it happens just in the normal everyday life? We don't have to wait for the extreme example. How about when you invite someone to your house and you treat them with hospitality and love and care? What if you volunteer with our children or with our middle school or high school students? They're hungry to hear the truth and they want to know and you can have that opportunity as you volunteer with them to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ. I know coming up even this week or in the weeks ahead, there's going to be Habitat for Humanity build and Fuller Housing Center build that's in your bulletin this morning. People are volunteering at the food pantry, at Shepherd Community Center, and at VBS. These are places that you can step in and find a place to be a part, to take courage in sharing Christ 
with others in tangible ways. You are ordinary, I'm very ordinary, but with the courage of Christ, we can do extraordinary things in his name. We don't need to depend on the power of the world, but the power of the Holy Spirit taking courage in Christ. We don't need to align with culture, but to align with Christ and his message of grace and truth and love. And we don't need to depend on ourselves, but to depend on God in us, working through us. May we take courage, not in power or culture or self, but take courage in Christ. Let us pray. Most loving God, we just give you thanks that you have brought us here this morning for another beautiful summer day. God, we pray that there may be a situation this week for me, uh, for any of us in this room, where we're called through our words, our actions, to have courage, to take a stand for your truth. Lord, not to be necessarily combative or to start an argument, Lord, but to show the grace and the truth and the love of Jesus through our words and actions. Lord, when those situations arise or when we're called to step in, Lord, help us to have the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.